Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue investigating Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the Gospel concerning the Kingdom of God. When Jesus opened his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he summoned the public to a complete repentance, that's to say a reorientation of their life in a brand new direction, the adoption of a new horizon, a new set of perspectives, a new set of goals, in view of the fact that the kingdom of God was coming. The kingdom of God is the great objective of the Christian faith. Jesus, in his Christian message, addresses us as those in need of immortality. As human beings, we are mortal. We need to have conferred upon us the seed of immortality. Now, that germ of eternal life, or the life of the coming age, is transmitted to us by the gospel or good news message of Jesus Christ about the kingdom of God. Many people today have a very confused notion about what the kingdom of God means. Most unfortunately, we've adopted language and vocabulary in common Christian parlance, which actually confuses the message of the Bible. We tend to talk constantly of heaven at death as the objective of the faith. Imagine somebody watching a hundred-yard dash, and imagine that some in the audience thought that the object of the hundred-yard dash was to run fifty yards down the track, and then to mount a helicopter and disappear vertically into the sky. We would find that rather ridiculous. We all know that the object of a hundred-yard dash is to run in one direction until you reach the tape. The goal is to reach the tape at the end of the race. That's absolutely clear. Now, unfortunately, in terms of the Christian faith, a very considerable confusion has overcome us. Many seem to think that heaven is the objective of the Christian. That's to say, the disappearance of the so-called immortal soul to a region far removed from this planet. The truth is that the New Testament writers do not think vertically, as though our objective as a Christian is to go up to heaven. They think horizontally, what they mean is that we are destined as Christians to enter the kingdom of God on the earth when Christ comes back. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, they're going to inherit the earth. He didn't say, blessed are the meek, they're going to go to heaven. That language about going to heaven is entirely foreign to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. Now, it's true that Jesus has ascended to heaven, but the Bible nowhere says that Christians go to heaven. Rather, they inherit the kingdom or the earth in the future when Christ returns. Now, it's true that some objectives of the faith are called heavenly, but does that mean that they are going to be in heaven when we enjoy them? Well, no. Things that are heavenly in the Bible are things which are being prepared in heaven, in God's plan now, but which will be revealed on the earth when Jesus returns. We're not going to heaven Jesus is coming back here to reward us on the earth. That's the New Testament pattern. It was only in post-biblical times that the alien and intruding notion of an immortal soul got muddled up with the faith, and now Christians are divided and confused about the ultimate purpose of being a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the great keys to successful Bible study is to assemble all the relevant passages on a given topic and only then to draw one's conclusions from all the facts. 
It's a serious mistake to rely on one or two passages only and disregard a great mass of evidence which might suggest something else. Another important principle in Bible study is to try to discover the very simple and primary verses and to fit the more difficult and complicated ones around those. And yet another principle is to start at the beginning. What is the earliest impression you get from the teaching of Jesus? Well, if we start at the beginning, we don't have to go very far in the book of Matthew to find in Matthew 5, verse 5, a very clear statement about the objective of the Christian life in the teaching of Jesus. In his Sermon on the Mount, he makes an absolutely unmistakable statement about the objective of the Christian life, what Christians can expect in the future as their destiny and their goal. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, they're going to have the earth as their inheritance. Now, that certainly doesn't sound like going to heaven. That statement about inheriting the earth would seem to be the exact opposite, indeed, of going to heaven or attaining heaven at death. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, the earth is going to be the place of their inheritance. Matthew 5, verse 5. Now, a very similar statement is found in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. In that passage, we read of 24 elders who fall down before the Lamb, that's Jesus, now in heaven, and they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book, to break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign as kings upon the earth. Once again, that hardly sounds like going to heaven. Now, those clear statements in Matthew 5, verse 5, and Revelation 5 and verse 10 should be taken as primary evidence for the truth about the Christian destiny. Well, you may say, what about John chapter 14? In verse 2 of John 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may also be. Jesus then announced in that famous verse that he was going to prepare a place in his father's house, but he added immediately that he was going to come back and be with the disciples so that they could be together with him. Now the question is, what is meant by this preparation of a place in heaven? Did Jesus say that he was going to come back and take the Christians to heaven? Well, no. He simply said that he was going to heaven himself, he said that he would make ready a place for his disciples, and then he would come back so that the disciples could be with him. You see, the point here is that Jesus is coming back from heaven. Jesus, indeed, is coming to be king of this earth. The place that he prepares for Christians, he prepares it now while he, Jesus, is in heaven. But he's going to bring that reward out of heaven and give it to the Christians upon his return to set up the kingdom on the earth. Now, all of this is beautifully explained in the first chapter of First Peter. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
so that we can obtain an inheritance, a future that is, an inheritance in the future. Now listen carefully to the detail of this inheritance. An inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, our salvation is being reserved. It's stored up, if you like, prepared in heaven. But it's going to be revealed, as Peter says, at the last time. That's to say, when Jesus comes back to set up his glorious kingdom on this planet. In a very typically Jewish way, the New Testament constantly says that all the good things of the future are presently planned for, prepared in the mind of God, but they're going to be revealed on the earth when Jesus is sent back to this earth by God his Father to be the rightful heir of the throne of David in Jerusalem. Here's how Jesus himself expressed this great truth in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 25, verse 31. Now when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. You notice there that Jesus is coming first, and then he's coming to sit on his throne. That throne, of course, would be on the earth. He's coming from heaven to the earth, and then he will sit on his glorious throne. And done in verse 34, Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There we have it again. All the good things of the future are prepared. They're laid up in heaven, stored up with God. But they're going to be given to the meek and to the faithful on this earth at the return of Jesus Christ in power and glory. So it remains an absolutely basic truth of the New Testament, indeed of the whole Bible, that the meek are going to inherit the earth and that they're going to rule as kings with Jesus on the earth according to Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. If you will examine the prophets of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, you will find them constantly speaking of a new earth, a renewed planet. You remember the great words in Isaiah that the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. You'll find in Isaiah chapter 2 that the nations are going to beat their swords into plowshares and make farm implements out of their weapons of war. There's going to be peace across the globe. The earth, indeed, will be filled with the knowledge of God. The earth is the scene of the kingdom of God in the future. In Jeremiah 23, verse 5, we read this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous descendant, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land or on the earth. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. That, of course, is typical of the Old Testament Hebrew prophet's vision of the future. It's always related to this planet, to this earth, renewed and renovated and purified and made into a place of universal righteousness, peace will flow across the globe in a way unknown in the whole history of mankind. And the great messianic kingdom, which was the heart and center of Jesus' good news, his gospel, 
will bless the world on a grand scale. Now it was to this kingdom that Jesus invited his followers with his call to repentance in view of the near approach of the kingdom of God. Jesus knew of this great time coming. He knew from the prophets of Israel that the kingdom of God would be established on the earth across the globe and it was to that new age of the kingdom that Jesus invited his audiences with his summons to repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom of God. Mark 1 verses 14 and 15. Jesus knew that all of us are mortal, that we need immortality, but what he offered by way of his gospel was not only life forever, but also a position and place as a ruler, as a co-regent with Jesus in that coming kingdom of the future. That's why he urged us as followers to pray always, may your kingdom come. To that great day, everything in the Bible strains forward, not to a position in heaven, I may say, playing a harp on a cloud in the super-celestial realm, but to a functioning office as king, as co-ruler with Jesus on this earth, according to Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. I have written a book on this issue of the kingdom of God, where it will be, when it will be. I believe that you will find it eye-opening to discover that Jesus mentioned the kingdom of God over and over again. And yet I quote leading preachers who admit that they do not preach about the kingdom of God. Something is amiss here, and you'll be interested to study not only the kingdom of God in the Bible, but some of the reasons why this has become an obscure subject for so many Bible readers. We invite you to request your free copy of our book on the kingdom of God, and join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.